just afraid that we're going to take a moment to pray again. Almighty God, thank you so much for your love, your goodness, your graciousness to us. Please bless us and meet with us. May Jesus Christ be exalted, glorified. Continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, 
knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here Paul's exhorting Timothy, no matter what other people say or do, no matter what the circumstances are, you stay strong, you keep the faith, stay true to the word of God. And Paul affirms the divine origin of the Bible, and thus its authority. And Paul emphatically declares its value. First, the Bible tells us how to be saved. It tells us how to um, know how to be saved and be right with God, uh, which is the biggest need of every living person on this earth. And that alone is, is worth its weight in eternity. But there's more. This book is also profitable for teaching, for training, for instructing us how to live, how to become a man or woman of God, equipped for every good work. This book, this book will teach you how to live. So point number one, God wrote the Bible. Uh, we're going to look at the first phrase of verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. Um, all, all scripture is breathed out by God. And I'm going to read this in a few different Bible versions. Uh, the King James Version says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. New American Standard Version. All scripture is inspired by God. New International. All scripture is breathed out. It, all scripture is God breathed. So the main idea here is God is the ultimate, ultimately responsible for all the words of the Bible. Now let's look at that uh, first word. All scripture is breathed out by God. The entire 66 books of the Bible, every page from the creation account in Genesis all the way to the prophecies in Revelation, God is the one who inspired the authors to write this. Um, another evidence is that the Bible is unified, it's coherent. All these verses agree with every other verse in the Bible. In its entirety, the Bible is inspired by God. We don't have the option to pick and choose, I like this passage, I'm going to obey that, or I don't like that passage, it's not, I don't think it's relevant right now, I'm just going to ignore that. We don't have that option, all of it is inspired by God. God is the God of eternity, God doesn't go out of date, his word does not go out of date. So moving on to the second word in that phrase, all scripture is inspired by God. What is Paul referring to when he says scripture? Because remember, at the time Paul was writing this, his letter to Timothy, they didn't have the entire 66 compiled books of the Old New Testament that we have. So what, if they didn't have the entire Bible, what did they have? That's our first question. The second question is, if all, of, all the books of the Bible were not yet written, did Paul know that scripture was still being written? And he, is, is he including that in his statement? So the first question, what did they have? They had the Old, Old Testament. In fact, the New Testament writers often would specifically quote or refer back to many parts in the Old Testament. And they, there are quotes from Genesis, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Psalms, Daniel, Micah, just to name a few. And there is very good evidence that the Orthodox, Orthodox Jews in Jesus' time regarded the 39 books of our Old Testament, 
those were the same books that they regarded as the Holy Scriptures. Uh, it is of note that the 15 books that make up the Apocrypha were not included in that list. Uh, and some of the reasons also include that the, Apoc the Apocrypha includes teaching that directly conflict with other parts of Scripture. Most notably, it's ideas about purgatory, indulgences, and works-based righteousness that contribute to justification. And it's also note that none of the New Testament writers ever quote from the Apocrypha. Apocrypha. So, answering question one, they definitely had the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Turn back a couple pages in your Bible to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. Because Paul, in some of his letters, actually quotes directly from other New Testament writings um, and calls them scripture. So in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now the command to not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, that is a well-known Old Testament direct, uh, Old Testament phrase in Deuteronomy. But the next quotation, the laborer deserves his wages, is a direct quote from Jesus in Luke 10, verse 7. And Paul is clearly calling both of these passages scripture. And Peter also does this in the New Testament. He will refer to other New Testaments, writing some of Paul, and call them scripture. So, and this also partly answers our second question, which was, if all the books of the Bible were not written yet, did Paul know that scripture was still being written? And is that included in his statement? Short answer, yes. Paul and the other apostles knew that they were writing scripture. And yes, it makes sense that Paul is including that in his statement. And another note, is, another thing I want to note is that God is the one who decides what is scripture. It's not, it's not up for man to choose, well, these books are scripture and these books are not. And even the early church fathers who compiled the 22 New Testament books, they knew this, and they saw themselves empowered only to receive and recognize what God had provided in those books, handed down from the apostles and their immediate companions. So, moving, moving on to the next part, now we looked at scripture. All scripture is inspired by God. So the word used here for inspiration uh, is literally translated divinely breathed in. Steve did a, Pastor Steve did a good job of illustrating that uh, with the kids' time. Um, and some scholars believe that Paul actually coined this word to provide a better description of God's work behind the scenes in writing the Bible. But what would this look like? Because God didn't physically come down and write the Bible, write each passage of the Bible. Um, what would this have looked like? Well, one thing this might have looked like is God coming to Moses in the wilderness when Moses was up on the mountain, and God appearing to Moses saying, write down these, this in the law, and Moses writing it down. Um, and uh, if you remember, Moses was a scholar. He was educated in Pharaoh's household. He grew up in Egypt. Um, so he was well-trained. 
Uh, Moses is responsible for writing the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But can you picture Moses up on the mountain and God coming to him saying, Moses, record what I tell you. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Similar with Joshua. Joshua records how the Israelites entered into the promised land and how they divided it up among the twelve tribes. And then, moving down, David. Can you imagine one day, after he's become king, finding the parchments he'd written on when he was a kid, watching sheep. It's like, oh, I wrote that psalm after, after I had God helped save me from the lion and the bear and helped me kill them to protect the sheep. Or, or oh, I, I wrote that psalm after I was hiding from Saul, King Saul in the cave when he was trying to kill me. And God protected me and delivered me. What a sweet time with God that was. And then, of course, the major and minor prophets are probably the easiest to visualize. God appearing in a vision to Isaiah and saying, Isaiah, write down what I tell you. Uh, warn Israel, warn the kings of Israel about coming judgment. And Isaiah, writing down everything that God said. And as for the New Testament, the four Gospels and, the four Gospels and Acts are essentially eyewitness accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus and the events immediately following. Then um, we have the epistles, which are essentially a lot of letters written by apostles or uh, by apostles to churches or to specific people in those churches. And then at the end there's Peter, James, John, Jude, Revelation. Um, Revelation was also written by John. These are also letters. So these, this is what inspiration by God would have looked like, could have looked like. God moved among the authors and he used their unique personalities and writing styles to record his message. Now let's look at the last bit, part of that, that phrase. All scripture is inspired by God. God is responsible for this book. He chose what message he wanted to say to man and he used human authors to write it down. And this is huge, because if God wrote this book, then this book is as trustworthy as God is. And this book is as relevant today as God is. So we see here in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the Bible claims that it is the word of God. And more than that, the Bible also claims that it is exclusively the word of God. In his letter to Galatians, chapter 1, verse 8, Paul emphatically states, But if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I have said so before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. There are not going to be any new revelations that claim another way to God. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And this is why we don't believe the Book of Mormon. This is why we don't believe the Quran. Although both of these books claim to be divine revelations, they both claim that the gospel is outdated, inaccurate. But the Bible, however, is neither outdated nor inaccurate. As we say today, truth unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The almighty, unchangeable, all-powerful, all-wise God who created everything, who created language itself, definitely 
has the power to preserve his word through all generations. And with an all-powerful God like that, doesn't it make sense that the message he wrote to man 2,000 years ago is now the most widely printed and distributed book in the entire world? Alright, moving on to point number two. The Bible can change your life. First, first way you can do that is salvation. So if indeed God wrote the Bible, then that changes things. That means this book has authority. That means this book can change your life. First and, first and foremost, the Bible can change your life by leading you to salvation. If you're still in 2 Timothy chapter 3, look back at verse 15. And how from a childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This, book's, this book tells us how we can be right with God. Uh, I'm going to use an acronym for the gospel to take a moment to walk us through the message of salvation, and that can be found on the back of your bulletin. I'm going to read this first and then talk a little more about each one. So the first letter in gospel, G, goes with the idea, God created man to be with him. O goes with, our sins separate us from God. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. And the letter P, paying the price of sin, Jesus died and rose again. E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. So going back to G, God, the almighty creator, the perfect, holy God, wants to have a relationship with you. God's original intent for man was pretty clear in the Garden of Eden. God walking and talking with Adam and Eve, and all three of them enjoying each other's company. I remember when I first met my wife, Emily. I remember that I had so much respect for her. She was fun. She, was, she cared about people. She loved God. She uh, was great at teaching. She's smart. She's kind. She was just great to be around. And I remember thinking, I want to be, hang out with this person for a long time. I want to be good friends. I want their character to rub off on me. I want to, I want to see them grow. And one of the things about, one of the most exciting things about marriage to me is that I get to hang out with Emily for a long time. <laughs> I'm, ex I'm, ex I'm just so excited. I'm excited about the last five and a half years we've been married. I'm excited about now how we're growing. Like we make mistakes, but we grow together. That's, that's awesome. And I'm excited about the rest of our lives. I get to live the rest of my life with my best friend. Now, going back to our point, God wants to be your friend. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. What does it look like? God, God's character rubbing off on you. One thing that could look like is singing and worshiping God on Sunday and you're just welling up with emotion inside because the words that we're singing, you, they've rung true in your life so many times over and over again. No matter what circumstance, no matter what situation, no matter what you face, this is true. The words here are true. And you've seen it, you've experienced it, you've proved it. One thing it looks like is having God's heart and love for other people, especially those brothers and sisters in Christ, reaching out to them, seeing they're having a hard day talking with them, saying, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. Sister, I'm praying for you. And then doing the same for you. It looks like 
going through your darkest time, and somewhere deep inside of you, you have a core of peace. Because you know, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the outcome is, you serve a God who's in control of every detail of everything. And He loves you. He cares about you. And He has promised to work all things out for your good and for His glory. Romans 8, 28 29. We know that all things work together to good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He knew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, sometimes this truth is hard to believe. But did you know, Christian, that your life has purpose? Did you know, Christian, that one of the purposes of your life is to be conformed, to be molded into the image of Jesus Christ, to become more Christ-like in your life, to become more Christ-like in your attitude, in your thoughts, in your thinking, in your reactions, to become more like Christ? One of the things that I love about this purpose is that it doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what anyone else does. It doesn't matter what outcome of the situation is. Even if it's a flop, even if it's a fail, even if it hurts really badly, God can still use this to make you more like Jesus Christ. And that's a win. And it's not dependent, it's not dependent on circumstances, but what is it dependent on? First, it's dependent on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in us and through us Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the Spirit produces in us is love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. The Spirit produces that fruit in the life of a Christian. But the second thing it's dependent on is your reaction, is your response. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 says, Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. Don't resist the spirits working in your life. Be humble. Be teachable. Be ready to change when God shows you an area of your life that you need to work on. Pray and ask Him to help you. Psalm 139, 22 and 20, 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This, this is what our relationship with God should look like. Going back to the gospel acronym, the second point. Our sins separate us from God. Sin is anything that I think, anything that I say, or anything that I do that breaks God's law. What is God's law? Well, let's start with the Ten Commandments. Genesis chapter 20, verse 3. Let's just look at the first one. Commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Question for you. Have you ever loved anything more than God, more than you loved God? And I'm not talking about, do you, uh, sorry. Also in that, have you ever loved yourself more than you love God? And I'm not just talking about, do you love God more than you, uh, more times than you love other people and more times than you love yourself. Um, one time, of not loving God, not putting God first, is enough to separate you from God forever. So Jesus said a similar thing in Matthew 20, 22, verses 37 to 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and all your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Have you loved God in every moment of every day and reflected him in every decision, every thought, every action? None of us have. But Jesus did. Every moment of every day that he lived on this earth, he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, strength, every action, every thought, every word, every deed. Next point in this acronym, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead as in hopeless, helpless, unable to save ourselves. And then down in verses 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is purely the gift of God. It is not a, re a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's absolutely no good deed that you or I could do either to pay for our sins or to give us a right standing before God's holiness. We needed someone perfect to save us. And that brings us to our next point, because we just talked about it. Paying, for the, paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. Guys, this is Easter. We just had a good Friday service. We just had an Easter service to remember and celebrate Jesus' death on that cross because it paid for our sin. And also his resurrection from the tomb three days later. Jesus is alive. Moving on to our next point. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. John 3.16. You all know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And again in Romans 10, Verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is, is saved. Even with just a simple understanding of a child, one can believe and God does the saving work. Lastly, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. In John chapter 17, we have the longest recorded prayer by Jesus in the Bible. And it happens right before his arrest and crucifixion. In verse 3 of John 17, Jesus said, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, eternal life starts when you confess your sin and believe in Jesus, but eternal life continues as you get to know God more throughout this life and on into eternity. Because at its core, eternal life is knowing God. It is that relationship with God. And the whole story of the Bible is about how man fell from that relationship and how God provided a way to fix it. And now, you and I, Sinners who deserve eternal punishment can come boldly to the throne of grace, find mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16. That is salvation. On to our final point, and this one is short, don't worry. One way that the Bible can change your life is through sanctification. Sanctification literally means to set apart, to make holy. Remember how we talked about how 
one of the purposes of our lives is to become more like Jesus Christ, that is what sanctification is. What if I told you that you are as close to God today as you, as you, as you want to be? You are as close to God today as you want to be. When I was growing up, I had a pastor who would often use the phrase, people do what they want to do. People do what they want to do. My question to you is, what do you want? If this book has the authority of the almighty creator God behind it, I need, I need to listen to this. I need to know what this book says. I want my life to have meaning and purpose. I need to know what this book says. I want my life to have joy and peace. I need to know what this book says. I want to know truth. I want to know what is right. I need to know what this book says. I want to know how to live a life pleasing to God. I need to know what this book says. So I ask you again, what do you want? And what in your life do you need to do or change to get there? For some of us, the first step is confessing sin. For some of us, it might be as simple as making a schedule. For some of us, we need more help, and we need to ask someone for accountability. Or maybe we should ask someone to, to mentor us in certain areas. If something came to mind, I encourage you to write it down, text your friend, do something so you'll remember it outside the Sunday morning. In closing, um, I hope you've been encouraged by this. And even if all of this has just been a review for you, I sincerely hope you were challenged by the reminder, looking at God's word. And Christian, Christian, if you do not have the relationship with this book, with God that you want to have, pray. Ask him for it. I challenge you to specifically think through what you want your relationship with this book to look like. And then ask God specifically for that. And then see what he does. And if you're not a Christian today, you know the gospel message. You know what you need to do. Are you ready? Are you ready to commit your life to Christ? If you need help or encouragement, ask anyone here. We'd be so excited to help you. Let's close in prayer. Almighty, unchangeable God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you how much love us and you look in our lives. Pray that you would help each one of us to take the next step in our walk with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.